Thank you for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church podcast. We invite you to our Christmas services where you will enjoy timeless Christmas carols, a hope-filled message, the traditional candle lighting, and even snow. Get your free tickets today at hcbc.com slash Christmas. Please enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, Hill Country. My name is Eric, one of the pastors on staff. If you're joining us again online out at Steiner Ranch or here at Lakeline, glad you're spending part of your day here with us. Um, I came across a meme. I never thought I would start a sermon that way, but that's how we're starting this sermon. Um, check, check this out. Me in 2019. Can you remember? <laughs> like what life was like before, well, before all the stuff. This is what one person wrote, and I love this. If I could just have a week with nowhere to go and nothing to do, I could get my house in order. Has anyone ever said that? I know I, like, like seriously, in the middle of like what tends to be like January through November, busy. Then from now till the end of the year, busy. And I wonder if this person like wrote this or had this thought like during this Christmas, like if I could just have a week, would someone stop the world for a week so I could just, and sure enough, we all know what happened. What? They got a chance to test it out, didn't they? I wonder how it went. Me in 2021. Nope, that wasn't the problem. And we all said, yep, didn't work for me either. But I think, one, I love the honesty of it, right? But I think it's also pretty profound because what is this person concluding? That they still have a problem and this solution didn't get it done. So I wonder, and here's the question that I'm going to put to all of us. If we were to take me in 2021, just slide that up here. We're going to do a little reset. We're two years later. How would you finish that sentence, if I could just have? Or, asked another way, what are you hoping for this year? As you close out 2021, I mean, December, we're going to hit it this week, and then 2022 will be here before you know it. What are you hoping for? Like some of us, during the great resignation, as it's being called, are hoping for a new job. Maybe you're hoping for a bigger salary. Maybe you're hoping for a new relationship. Maybe you're hoping for the relationship that you're in to get better. Maybe you're hoping for any relationship. I'll take anything at this point. Maybe you're hoping that your kids will make better decisions in the coming months and years. Maybe you're hoping that um, just all the stuff, right, that apparently we can't get along very well would just pass by and we could just get to the point of being able to have a conversation with people that we might disagree with at some level. Maybe your hope is something more personal, like the thing that you're struggling with, the thing that's causing you right now anxiety or stress or frustration, like maybe your hope is, God, would you just, if I could just have you fix that. I bet we're all hoping for something as we close out 2021. But as I ask that question, we have a bit of a problem, and here's what I mean. 
We tend to think of that word hope culturally instead of Christianly. And what I mean by that is culturally, how is hope, like the definition behind the word, like what we mean by, what does hope mean? It means either wishful thinking, I hope the Cowboys make it to the Super Bowl. (laughs) Keep hoping, keep hoping. And I say that as an insider, I hated the game the other day too. I hope the weather is going to be good this weekend. I hope that inflation goes down and not up. Now, the thing about wishful thinking is, do you have any control over any of that? No. Like, is there anything that you and I can do to see those things happen? No. That's wishful thinking. The other thing that we do, this is like the other definition of hope, is optimism. Optimism, it's, it's kind of like saying, I have hope that the next quarter will be better than the previous quarter. I have hope that my kids will have an easier time next semester than they have this semester. Or if you're the kid, I'm hoping for a new teacher. That's what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Now, those things, right, they tend to be cyclical, right? Quarters come and quarters go, and some are good and some are bad. And so there's some, like, tangibleness to, like, that could happen. But again, we have no confidence that it could, and that's the difference between what I think cultural hope is when we think of it culturally and what we think of it Christianly, because what the Christian view of hope is is certainty. So get us all on the same page. How about this for a definition of hope? Hope, Christianly, is looking forward to an outcome. You and I, we have a desire. I would like to see. It's the meme. If I could just have. But here's the difference. Here's where Christian hope departs from cultural hope. I'm looking forward to an outcome, but with a specific reason for confidence that it will happen. You see, hope, as we unpack it this morning, is gonna, we're going to talk about why hope isn't wishful thinking. Hope is certainty. Hope isn't optimism. Hope is confidence. It is assurance That's when we say the word hope, that's what we mean. Be like this. How about these for examples? Um, I hope inflation will improve. Versus regardless of what inflation does, there is a God in heaven who will provide for me. That's hope. Or how about this? I hope my kids, again, make better choices. Christian hope. Regardless of the decisions my kids make, there is a God in heaven who can work in their life. Or how about this one? I hope to get through COVID or regardless of the variant, there is a God in heaven who will be with me. That's hope. Now, here's the other thing we need to realize about hope. No one comes by it naturally. What I mean by that is no one, no one ends up with a Christian hope like just by stumbling into it. Right? Christian hope has to be learned. It has to be cultivated. It has to be built. And here's the other thing that you know about hope and I know about hope. Tomorrow morning, you're likely going to get up and head into work. Would you like to do that hopeful or hopeless? It matters. 
You and I cultivating hope, building hope matters. And what I would argue is that Christmas, the Advent season, what we're going to spend our times marinating in over the next four weeks between now and December 25th is the best time to build hope. You need it. I need it. The person who wrote that sign needed it. That's what we're going to talk about. What does it look like to build hope genuinely in your life? If you have your Bibles, go ahead. We're going to be in Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to start in Isaiah 8 verse 19. And as we look at this um, topic of hope, here's what we're going to find. The first truth about building it is where not to build hope. Because hope, and I put that in quotes on purpose, because it's not really hope, because it's hope apart from God. Hope apart from God leads to despair. That as you and I begin, like, okay, I know I need hope. I want more hope. I want a genuine hope. I want a confident hope. I want a sure hope. There's going to be some places that we're going to be tempted to place our hope. But if we do... Those places that are apart from God, what we're going to end up is not with hope. We're going to end up with despair. So Isaiah 8, verse 19. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living. What does that have to do with hope? Well, let me give us the context of what's going on as God, through the uh, prophet Isaiah, is speaking to the people of Judah in the city of Jerusalem about 700 BC. They are in a tough spot. Why? What's going on? Well, their brothers to the north, the northern nation of Israel who they're not getting along with, and you'll see why in a second, have allied themselves with the nation of Aram. Think modern-day Syria. And what they have done is those two nations have got together, and they have built their armies, and they've headed south. And they've crossed over from Israel into Judah, and now they're marching on Jerusalem. You could stand on the ramparts of the city, look out, and see the invading army. And the people in the city are scared. What are we going to do? And they're despairing. How do you know they're despairing? Because how bad does it have to get when you consult mediums and spiritists for hope? Like literally occult practices. Like someone goes, hey, we should talk to the dead. Seems like a good idea to me. How bad does it have to get for you to say that? That's where they're at. Now, ancient Near East, if you wanted to talk to God, if you wanted to meet with God, what'd you do? You went up on a mountain. God's up there, and so you went on a high place to meet with God. Here's what they did, and I'll start to unpack verse 19. What they would do, these mediums and spiritists, if God's up there, the dead are down there, they would literally dig a hole. Then the medium or spiritist would get in the hole and start to mutter and whisper. You heard that in the text. What they're doing is they're saying incantations, spells. And then they would get a message somehow, some way, and then they would relay that to the people. Now, before you think, well, that's nuts. 
Here's what they thought. They said, here we are stuck in this bodily existence. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, are they going to attack? Are they going to lay siege to the city? Are we going to end up being starved out? Are we going to have to send our our young men and old men and everyone in between out to fight? And we're going to be laid waste. Are we going to end up being slaves? They don't know the future. What they think is, if we can talk to dead people, then they'll have a different perspective. They're outside of time, and they can give us the message. And then the Jews did it one better, because they're God's people. And so what they said is, I have dead relatives, and we're God's people, so obviously my dead relatives are with God. So if we can contact them, then we're actually getting a message from God. Crazy? That's what they thought. In fact, they knew better. But when you're despairing, you look for any port in a storm. This is Leviticus 20. This is what God has to say about this practice. He says, I will set my face against anyone who turns to mediums and spiritists to prostitute themselves by following them. And I will cut them off from their people. Just so we are clear, we do not trifle, we do not dabble, we do not mess with anything that is a cult. It is demonic, and it will take you bad places. Now, here's what's interesting. As I prepared for this message, and I'm like, man, I have to deal with a text that talks about mediums and spiritists. Everyone who was about 40 and older was like, really? Like, Eric, do you have to spend any time talking about this? Everyone 20 to 30 looked at that person and said, absolutely, because I've got a friend. You know, you can go on Amazon right now. Um, There's a book called The Book of Answers. Completely garbage. It's like the newest version of the Magic 8-Ball. Tarot cards, palm readers, straight-up mediums. Like, it seems like, I don't know if you notice this, but every couple years there's like a show with a medium on it. Here's the thing that we have to know. Either in that moment it's a scam, right, and that person's a con artist, a charlatan, whatever they are, or it's demonic. And where the message is actually coming from is Satan. So please, if you have a friend, you know someone, do not mess with it. It will take you places you do not want to go. Which makes sense for what God says next. It says, instead of going to those people, verse 20, this is not going to be a surprise. He says, to the law and to the testimony. Read your Bible, is what he says. Because if they or if anyone do not do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. They have no hope to give. If you have people who do not say, you know what, I'm going to look for my hope here. I'm going to look for my answers and what God has to say. The only place that's left is despair. And you can see what happens, verse 21. Those people who say, no, I'm going to look for my hope there, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward will curse their king and their God. 
Well, you can imagine, right? They're in a tough spot. God, they think, has let them down. God, I'm, I'm sure, let's just assume that they did some prayer. They did some religious things. They did some sacrificing before they got to the point where they're consulting mediums and spiritists. And what they're doing is they're looking to heaven and shaking their fists. God, you let us down. They're despairing. And then when they're done shaking their fist at God, verse 22, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. That word there can be translated despair. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Here's what's really interesting about this context and what's going on. And we have to catch this. The people are not despairing because the enemy is at the gate. The people are despairing, check this, don't miss it, because they tried to find their hope apart from God and it didn't work. Why is that? Because circumstances don't cause us to lose hope. What they do is circumstances reveal to us where our hope actually lies. That's why it's not the context that you and I find ourselves in right now that, that is the barometer of where our hope is. The circumstances are just revealing that. Now, to make us all feel better, I would like to illustrate this by talking about politics. <laughs> Wish me luck. I wonder how many emails I'll get. <clears throat> Observation, observation. Have you noticed that the level of political rancor, vitriol, the number of political hand grenades, proverbially speaking, that get tossed from one side of the aisle to the other, has it not reached epidemic proportions? Like, have you thought recently, yeah, those folks in Washington, they'll, they'll get some stuff done. No, you haven't. You haven't thought that. You know those folks in Austin? Crack squad, really hoping in them. No. Why? Well, I would submit, like, at least one 24-hour news cycle has not helped us. Right? If it bleeds, it leads, and so we've got to have more stuff that bleeds. Social media, helping, helping us or hurting us? Oh, we don't have to take a poll for that one. You know what I think the main reason is? It's because we're looking to politics for our hope. How do you know? Look at every election cycle, right? If that group's side wins, utter elation. And if their side loses, utter despair. You've seen the YouTube videos. I came across this quote, um, French theologian Jacques Ellul. When all problems and solutions are reduced to politics, then all hope rests in the gaining of political power. Is that not our experience today? Why? It's a hope problem. It's taking our hope and putting it in some place where we cannot actually find hope. 
Now, just so I'm clear and you don't hear what I'm not saying, as a follower of Jesus, you need to be involved politically. As a follower of Jesus, you who hold a Christian worldview, our God has given us the task of being a positive impact on culture. In Genesis chapter 2, God says, you are my vice rulers to cultivate culture, to bring order out of chaos. Do we have chaos? Yep. We can't retreat. If you name the name of Jesus, we need to be active in Washington, in Austin, in your local city council, in your local school board. with two big caveats, that we do so like Jesus, with grace and truth, with grace and love and truth. Think about it. Who else is going to bring a Christian worldview which will actually solve the problems we have if it's not us? And second caveat, politics never becomes our hope. Can't. Why? Because our hope is elsewhere. And between now and the day when Jesus comes back, we will do our level best to bring light and answers and love. Why? Because we care about the people around us. And if people enact decisions and solutions that do not align with what God has to say, those solutions will have victims. Now, let's bring it personal. My heart and your heart. There are ways where, yep, I'm trusting God here, but I have this little thing on the side that I'm also trusting in. And the way we get at it is just in the text, the circumstances. Meaning, what do you tell yourself when you can't sleep at night and the stress is coming in? That's how you know what you're hoping for. Like we all have said it, right? When, when I don't know how I'm going to solve this problem and I don't know what's going to happen, if I could just have enough in the 401k, if I could just have a better marriage, if I could just have my kids be successful, if I could just have good grades, get me to a good school, get me to a good job, whatever we answer with I could just have, whatever we answer with my hope is in, what Isaiah would say is please forsake that. We all have them. And say, God, I repent of that. I need, what I want is my hope, Father, only in you. Then you will build hope. So the first thing we see about doing that, cultivating, building, learning hope, apart from God, despair. But hope in God, hope in God leads to joy and peace. Hope in God leads to joy and peace. Chapter 9, verse 1, and we're going to get into the passage where it's like, yep, Christmas is here. Nevertheless, 
There will be no more gloom. There will be no more despair for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. What's going on? Zebulun and Naphtali in the north of the country. 700 years thereabouts after these words are recorded, that land will be known as Galilee. And what God says is right now, people in Jerusalem, right now, people in Judah, from those areas is coming pain, problems, an army. One day from that area is going to come your salvation. And in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, those living in a time where things are difficult, a light has dawned. And what's super interesting about how God communicates hope through Isaiah to these people is he talks about future events as if they've already happened. He's going to talk about things that are coming some 700 years later. But what we are supposed to do is take the promise of those events and apply them to our lives right now because that's hope. I'll give you an example. Um, First job I had got to serve our country in, uh, in the Marine Corps. And one of the things that you get to learn in the Marine Corps, like as a Marine officer, is how to lead an infantry platoon, right? So I'm slated to go to Pensacola, Florida and flight school. That's where I wanna go. What I get to do is walk through the woods of Northern Virginia outside of Quantico with a rifle and a pack. Sign me up. The rhythm of how it would work is spend a couple weeks in the classroom, Head out in the field and do whatever it is we just talked about. How you call for fire, how to use artillery, how to use machine guns. And then you go and learn about offensive tactics. How do you close with and destroy the enemy? Fun. (laughs) Then you learn defensive tactics. How do you hold on to a piece of ground, an objective, and thwart the enemy from taking it back? So, in February of 1997, I'm in the woods of Quantico with my entrenching tool, think small shovel, um, about half the size of any regular shovel that you would use to dig anything. They give us a small one. Um, And it's February, and it starts to rain. That's awesome. It's Monday. I'm going to be out here until Friday loves it when that happens. And since it's February in Northern Virginia, it turned to ice. Oh, so fun. Where's Pensacola Beach? That's what I want to know. And so that Monday afternoon, evening, it goes from rain to sleet to snow. And the only thing more fun than sitting in a hole for a week is sitting in a wet hole for a week. That's the only thing that's more fun. And that night, that first night, knowing like, oh, I have to do this for four and a half more days. This will be great. Covered. Like like I had this like shell of ice and then dusting of snow on it. It was freezing, shivering. So cold, I couldn't fall asleep. Why? Because I'm shivering. And an interesting thing happened. 
Like you guys know, you've been up early, and before the sun crests the horizon, the sky just starts to glow a little bit. And I'd been watching my watch, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., where's the sun? 4 a.m. And this is what happened. As soon as I looked up and I started to see this, the sky get a little blue, I forgot I was cold. Why? Because there was a promise of warmth to come. Isaiah 9, a light has dawned. And what God invites you to do, what God invites me to do as we read these words, I want you to pull forward the promises that God makes because on this you will build hope. Verse 3, you have enlarged the nation and increased their what? Their joy. As they rejoice before you, as people rejoice at the harvest. The harvest is in. I'm not worried about the rain coming. I'm not worried about insects. The harvest is here. We can feast. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Because the battle's over. Not only is the battle over, we've won. Verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat... You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. In Judges chapter 6 and 7, it's the story that's being referred to of Gideon, this man Gideon, who is a coward of a man, but God uses him to defeat the Midianites who had been oppressing the people, giving them freedom, giving them peace. And then verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. That's a peace to come. You say, like, why? Well, it's interesting language that God uses through Isaiah. Because when you come out of the field, after the engagement, you don't burn your gear, you clean your gear. Why? Because you're going to need it again. You don't know when the enemy's coming back again. Here's the peace that God is offering. You can burn it. Never going to use it again. One day, there is going to come a peace that surpasses all other peace. Like all our stress, all our anxiety, gone. Whatever the latest variant is, there's going to be a peace and we don't have to worry. And what we do is we take the promises of God in the future and we go, okay, God, I'm going to believe you now. Change my heart now. I bumped into a buddy of mine last Sunday in between services. His wife has cancer. And it's an aggressive, it's an aggressive kind. And so it's been a couple months since I've seen him. How's it going? And you know, like, if, if you've walked that cancer journey or your friend, family member has, right, it's like, okay, so how are the tests turning out? How are the numbers? What's going on? What, what's coming up next? And my buddy starts to unpack, like, okay, so here's what we've done so far. This was kind of good, and this, we're still concerned about this, and next week we have to do this, and, and next week have to do this. And you've been there when you've been in those conversations. And, like, for me last week, just internally, like, like, how are you doing this? With, like, how are you not a puddle of tears? Because there was a tangible, dare I say, joy. There was definitely peace. 
Because as he's weaving in, yeah, we have to go to this clinic for that test. We got to uh, get that scan over here. He would weave in, oh, and we saw God do that. Oh, and we saw God do that. Why? Because it's actually possible that in the midst of regardless of what the circumstance is, that you can have joy and peace. Why? Because your hope is not in your circumstance. Your hope is elsewhere. That's how you build hope. Now, you're probably not battling cancer. Some of you are. But we're all battling something. Where's your hope? Is your hope in a God who's with you, a God who fights for you, a God who will not leave you or forsake you one minute of any day? What God says is root your hope in me. Build your hope in me. Last. Hope, real hope, is a person, not a circumstance. Is a person, not a circumstance. Verse 6. For, because, how is this joy going to come? How is this peace going to come? God, how are you going to do it? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those verses, if, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you're like, Christmas, I hear those every year, and it doesn't hit us with the impact I think that it should. Here's why. Remember the context. Where are the people that these words were originally written for? They're in Jerusalem afraid. The enemy is just over there, and you're sending a baby Can you send tanks, God? That would help us out a little more. No, he says, I'm going to send you a baby. Why? Because our God is that powerful. You mean to tell me, God, that you're so powerful that you can save humanity by sending a child? You don't do that. No human would have thought of that. God did. Why? Because he can. And it also humbles us. Why? Because I think we're pretty smart. We're pretty advanced. I can figure out a way. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. And God says, you can't save yourself. Going back to the Midianite example from verse 4. This is what God says to Gideon in Judges. This is the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I'm not going to send you a big army to defeat the Midianites. Why? Because I can't deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. What God wants to do for you and I is trust me to do what you can't do. Because the circumstances of your life will come with repeated frequency that you can't handle. And that's the time where it goes, okay, these circumstances are bigger than me, but there's a God in heaven who figured out how to save humanity through a baby. He can figure out what I'm dealing with now. And I love the the descriptors. Wonderful counselor. Literally, the word is tactician. 
It's the idea that um, God has insight, God has wisdom that you and I don't have. I can't figure out my problems. You have a God who can. He's a mighty God. You and I will have problems that are outside of our power to change. God is mighty. He's an everlasting father. He's not going to be distant and malevolent. What he's going to be is when you call him, he's going to say, I'm here. I care. I see you. And he's going to be the prince of peace. Literally in the Hebrew, the prince of shalom. It's not merely the absence of conflict. It's the presence of flourishing. That what Jesus will bring is a flourishing of life in all its aspects. Flourishing physically. Flourishing spiritually. Flourishing in all the ways that we want it. If I could just have. And then verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When this baby ascends the throne, when he becomes the king that we've been looking for, that, they've, that we've been waiting for, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And what's our hope? It's that the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. That God has an ability to deliver on his promises that you and I in this life outside of him never experience. But he will do it. He will see to it. That's our hope. And that's why I think Advent, these next four weeks, beginning today, is a great time to build hope. Why? Because absent Jesus' return, December 25th will come. It's come every year of your life. Even when you were a kid and stared at all the presents under the tree and thought, when is December 25th going to get here? Even that year, even that year it came. Why? Because it's a promise. So as you and I look forward to December 25th, We go, oh, since Jesus came then, he's going to come again. And that coming points us to his ultimate coming. Where the Prince of Peace will come and lay waste to every enemy you have. And you will not shed another tear except in joy. You will not attend another funeral. You will not go to the hospital one more time. You won't lay awake at night stressed and anxious ever again. Why? Because the king is on the throne. So over the next four weeks, here's what I would say. When you think of Jesus' first coming, point your hope to his second. Because that's where our hope lies. That one day, the king comes back. And Jesus is not coming back to preach. He's coming to rule. And set right what needs to be set right. That's hope. And then second. Share the hope you have with one other person. I like you 
what is it, yesterday, day before Omicron? Like, come on. Like, didn't you think that at some level? Like another variant, and then all the things. Lockdown, another shot, don't get the shot. Get 10 shots. There are people in your life, my life right now, who need hope. Do they not? And they're looking for places they'll never find it. You have it. We have it. Like, it's a legit answer. It's the answer. What would it look like over the next four weeks to say, I have hope that will actually help. Maybe you have a conversation. Maybe it's like, hey, why don't you come with me to Christmas Eve? It's going to be a message of hope, I promise you. That's what you and I need this Christmas. And we have it. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I ask for all of us that the ways that we tend to find hope apart from you, just help us to forsake that and just root, build our hope in you. We need you. We love you. Thank you that you're for us. And Jesus, thank you that you're coming back. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen. To experience everything we have to offer, visit us online at hcbc.com. And as always, thank you for listening to the Hill Country Bible Church Podcast.